Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of From My Point of View. Uh, disappointing end to the season for the Yankees. I mean, we, we're going to talk extensively about the Yankees this episode. Um, as usual, we'll wrap it up with uh, NFL Week 7. Giants and Jets winning again, but the Jets get a huge blow to their roster. Brees Hall uh, ripped off another 60-plus yard run on Sunday, but then he left the game with a torn ACL. Well, they didn't confirm it until today, but yeah, torn ACL for Brees Hall. He's out for the year. Uh, I think there was damage to his meniscus as well. Really, really, really just a tough loss. I mean, he was lighting it up over the past like three weeks. Um, he's just, he's played really good football. He's been easily their best offensive player. And yeah, I mean, that's a huge blow for them. They came out with the win yesterday against Denver. Uh, Ripien was the, or Ripen, however you pronounce his last name, back up to Russell Wilson. He was playing yesterday. Uh, defense held up, and they played really well. But losing Brees Hall is obviously a huge blow. Uh, the Giants come out with another win. They're 6-1. Game came down to the last, the last play. Uh, unnecessarily so the the officiating at the end of the game was really bad uh so we'll, we'll break those two games down of course and uh what their futures are looking like and the rest of nfl week seven but first some housekeeping pop culture stuff i feel like it's been a minute since i talked about movies or tv shows or anything like that uh i have truth be told i haven't really been going to the movies there hasn't really been anything that's caught my eye but me and my friends went to go see black adam uh on friday night it was so it was so bad. It was so bad, dude. Oh my god. It was like first of all, The Rock, I think as Black Adam had maybe 20 lines of dialogue. Like he barely spoke the entire movie, which I thought was hilarious. Um Hawkman. The worst part of the movie. He sucked. Like he was he was so bad and I, I feel bad because the actor who plays him, um, if I could find his name, because I forget his name, Aldous Hodge. Aldous Hodge, he's he's in a bunch of stuff. Right? He he's a he's a pretty well well known actor, you know. He's he's been in a lot in a lot of TV shows. Um, I'm not sure how many movies he's been in, but I've seen him in in off the top of my mind, the first two when I look at him. First two shows I recognize him from are from uh, Friday Night Lights. He plays Voodoo Tatum and uh, Supernatural, like season one, I think, or maybe season two. Those are the, for, for whatever reason, those are the two things that he's been in a, a bunch of other stuff. But uh, I mean, the dialogue they gave this dude as Hawkman was like so bad. So, so bad. I thought I was having a fever dream. For like the first 45 minutes of the movie. I was like, where is this going? What is the conflict of this movie? You know, I just, I just didn't. The plot is like so, it's just, it's so lost. It's just, it's a lost movie, dude. And the dialogue in this film is just like so generic. They, they just, it's, it's like a, like a computer automated action movie dialogue. Like, 
he's right behind me, isn't he? Or like, you and I have unfinished business. And, and <laughs> like, guys, you're going to want to see this. Like, just generic ass action movie lines. There's like not a unique, uh, there's not a single unique line of dialogue in the entire movie. Uh, there's way too much exposition in the beginning. Um, it, it's just, it's a mess. It is a mess. Uh, the action sequences were ripped like straight out of a Zack Snyder movie and Zack Snyder did not direct this. Uh, but you thought if you didn't tell me who directed it and I went and watched it, I would, my first thought would have been Zack Snyder just for, based on the action sequences alone. Uh, but the action sequences were pretty good. Noah Centineo, um, I don't think acting's his thing, man. He stinks. He's not, he is just flat out not a good actor. And I know he, like, blew up a little bit a couple years ago with that, um, the, like, I Love You, uh, Netflix movies. What are they called? Um, it was, like, the series of movies with the, uh, the Asian girl and and he played like the love interest uh to all the boys i loved before right there's apparently there's three i only i only watched the first one back in 2018 but apparently there's three of them which is shocking news to me um and then he was in Sierra Burgess is a loser and the perfect date all of them netflix like rom-com movies so he really just kind of blew up off of those three four five movies all Netflix rom-coms and he was in Black Adam and he was so bad. He was so he played Adam Smasher. So he was horrible. <laughs> I just can't I can't dude. It was he was so bad. He was so bad. Um they completely just character assassinated Dr. Fate. Just murdered. Pierce Bronson was a fantastic choice for Kent Nelson. Fantastic. And just threw him to the side. Like, he... So, first of all, the big, the big thing here is that Pierce Bronson is Pierce Bronson, right? Very recognizable face, super handsome dude, talented actor. Uh, you need his face in the movie. So, the fact that Dr. Fate is a character who wears a helmet uh, is not good for that role. Because the way it is with Dr. Fate... Nabu is the spirit that possesses the helmet of fate. And whoever wears it, their body is then used as a vessel for Nabu. Okay? This, this is not a, a mutual thing, usually. Kent Nelson, you know, he is Dr. Fate for a very long time. So uh, he's like, I, I would guess you, I, I guess you would say Dr. Fate Kent Nelson's the main Dr. Fate, kind of like um, how all different kind of characters, they have, you know, different people embody them and stuff like that, but, or they have different mantles, but Kent Nelson, like Ant-Man, there's a couple different Ant-Mans, a couple different Blue Beetles, stuff like that. Kent Nelson's the main Dr. Fate. It's not, Nabu doesn't just give up, you know, he doesn't, they're not one and the same. Like the powers of fate, and that helmet are not just something that Kent Nelson can take on and off and, and use to his will and, and other stuff like that. Once the helmet's on, the helmet's on unless Nabu allows the helmet to come off. 
So it, it's really like almost a parasitic relationship. Obviously, it grows, and Kelt- Kent Nelson does end up, I think, having more of like a partnership with Naboo. But this movie does not even hint at Naboo being a, a character. It's just like the helmet has mystical properties and Kent Nelson uses it as uh, just as his power source. Like it gives him his mystical abilities, allows him to see the future, however unclear or briefly it is. Um, and that's like not really the character of Dr. Fate, but that's, I, you know, you have, again, you have Pierce Bronson playing him, so you need his face on screen. You can't just hide him behind a freaking helmet the entire time. So it sucks that that's the way that that that's the route that they had to go. But what I mean, he was the coolest part of the movie, except li- listen, The Rock as Black Adam was kind of awesome. He had like no dialogue. And when he did speak, it was just so uninspired. But again, the action was cool. Um, I'm sure they'll expand on his character moving forward. And but Dr. Fate was cool. Hawkman sucked. Um, Adam Smasher was lame he was just they had like this weird this cyclone girl too i I don't know who she is she stinks uh bad character like just useless um and they had some weird like romantic thing they they were trying to push and then nothing happened of it with adam smasher and uh cyclone that was bizarre and it was horrible uh every line that came out of noah centineo's mouth was like literally cheesy netflix rom-com like trying to woo you dialogue it it was horrible just flat out bad uh yeah and just a lot of this movie is really bad a couple cameos listen before the cameos um i said it's bad it's not a good movie it's like i'm gonna give my score now it's like a it's like a three out of ten it's a three out of ten but the action is good, and it's like, it's, it's, it's almost so bad, it's good, but it's still pretty bad. The action's fine, um, and if you just kind of turn, if you turn your brain off, even that might not be enough for you, but if you turn your brain off and, and just not, do not think about it, like, I was laughing, I was, I was laughing out loud in the theater when some of these lines were delivered in like serious moments and they were so cheesy i was i was quite literally laughing out loud in the theater uh it it was it was that cringy like that cringy that predictable but that again the action was good it just it can't make the movie much better because the movie's so bad but the action was good two cameos um jennifer holland Returns as uh, Amelia Harcourt for a quick scene. Couldn't like I honestly couldn't even tell you what she was doing there. I think they were supposed to be holding um, Black Adam. That's who they turn him over to, I guess, when he relinquishes his powers or whatever. Um, because Amanda Waller also she uh, she makes an appearance in the in the movie, and the big one, the end credit scene. The first end credit scene, it made the entire movie worth sitting through. Henry Cavill back officially as Superman. Uh, on Monday, he actually put out a video saying like he wanted to give everyone the weekend, and enough people had seen it. He felt it was appropriate. 
because obviously people are going to be leaking this shit and they, you know they're going to be posting it all over the TikToks and all these content creators are just going to ruin it for people that may not have gotten to the theater already. So unfortunately, if you didn't get to see it this weekend, that surprise is spoiled for you. But Henry Cavill back as Superman, finally. Obviously, that was like a huge hole in DC's plans just because Superman was well-established and it seems like they are really going to ride with like The Rock's vision of being like Black Adam is going to be the revival point of the DCEU. Like he's really trying to make that happen by having his movie be the one to reintroduce Henry Cavill as Superman. Uh, so that was pretty cool. The end credit scene basically goes Waller is threatening Black Adam because he essentially becomes king of Kandar. And Waller threatens him and is like, okay, well, we can't put you back in the box that we had you in unless you give up your powers. And clearly no one in that country wants you to give up their powers because they're like, you're their savior now. And they all like him. So he's pretty much named king. And Waller says, since we can't, uh, we can't put you back in the box, you're restricted. Like if you leave the airspace of Kandar, if you try and leave and, and do other shit or take over other countries, other stuff like that, like we are going to send someone after you. And to which he responds is there isn't a single person on this earth that can stop me. If, if you wanted to, right? He ends up hanging up, destroying the telecommunication thing. And then Superman appears and he's like, we need to talk. And that's it. Cuts to black. So basically that was, that's Waller's threat was like, don't leave the airspace of that country. Don't try and like, don't go and do anything stupid. Don't get greedy. Don't do whatever. Like just stay there, rebuild your country, like help them out when you can do all that kind of good stuff and just enjoy your freedom. Or we're going to sick Superman on you. And Superman, Shazam and Black Adam are a tough matchup for Superman because they obviously are super strong and have all these similar, very, very, very similar abilities to Superman. But also they possess some uh, magical properties and magic's a pretty weak spot for, uh, for Superman. But regardless, that's the really cool scene. Henry Cavill, The Rock, uh in the same scene together as Black Adam Superman was pretty dope. So, uh, Henry came out and he made a video, like I said, saying, hey, super excited to be back as Superman. Um, this is the beginning of something exciting and new. It's like the re re-up, you know, the re, I guess they're maybe, I don't know if they're gonna reboot it like the DCEU. I don't know if they're going to just keep everything that has happened so far as canon you know because they've really had to tiptoe for quite a few years around the fact that henry cavill was no longer superman and to bring him back into the mix ben affleck is still slated you know he he's still batman he's gonna be batman in the flash movie he's gonna be batman in aquaman too so he's still canonically in the dceu he's still batman so they, they kind of have reassembling their core a little bit here ezra miller you got to think after the flash movie he's gonna be recast as someone else um, yeah, I mean, there, there's, there's a lot of guys, like, Henry Cavill is Superman, I think is everyone, except for Christopher Reeves, I mean, a, a lot of people may, you might shit on the older movies, because it's just the, the action is not, or the CGI and everything like that, like, special effects is, was not 
what it is today, obviously. But Christopher Reeves is like the best Superman. I, I don't even think Henry Cavill is, he's not, you know, modern day, obviously. Yeah, he, he's been the best Superman that we've had over the past 20 years, for sure. Um, so to have him back is really nice. He's really hard to replace. You don't want to cast, recast Ben Affleck's Batman because that's just like tiring. You know, another Batman is tiring. So to have them two kind of seem, Henry Cavill's back on board and it kind of seems like Ben Affleck is too. Uh, you can easily recast the Flash, Ezra Miller, because no one likes him. He's a, he's a shitty Flash, and he's a shitty person. So they, sorry, they are a shitty Flash, and they are a shitty person. Um, so you can replace him. That's not a big deal. But to have Henry Cavill back as the guy, and ideally Zack Snyder will jump on board, and they'll make a Man of Steel 2, finally. Yeah, but that... that uh. After credit scene made it worth sitting through. Um, the movie itself was was bad. Like a, it's like a three. The end credit scene made it like a like a four and a half. Put it that way. A season finale of House of Dragons. Dope, dope first season for House of Dragons. So there's just like Game of Thrones fever is back on. Um, I I talked about this weeks ago with uh the first episode that came out but this episode it was just fantastic like the the entire season was fantastic uh Viserys is the man um sad to see him go obviously uh but it had to happen and then my poor dog spoilers spoilers <laughs> my guy Luke Lucerus Valerian man just gets Chomped. Vagar eats him and his dragon just one bite. Bonk. Uh, I did not realize. I saw a video earlier. I did not realize that uh, Vagar was the second biggest dragon in like the history of Westeros, uh, only second to Balerion, the Black Dread, which is that's significant. Obviously, um, Aemond is riding him and he's a threat <laughs> i don't know who the actor is that plays him but he's always got like this pouted look on his face with like his his lips like given like that he's got the blue steel going on from uh zoolander he's just got that with like an eye patch it's so bizarre um but it, it works it really does work the acting has been incredible the cinematography is like second to none uh, it, it's really has been a sensational season one of television. I missed this franchise a lot. I'm like fully enthralled back into the characters and the world and the lore. And just knowing that this book or the, the book that the show is based off is completed. And I saw someone describe like they had the whole book of fire and blood. And it was like, this is season one. And it was like maybe, maybe 60 pages, <laughs> something like that. Like it didn't look like a lot at all in comparison to how much was left in the book. Now, I don't know how, I, I remember George R. R. Martin saying like, if he had it his way for House of the Dragon, it would be four seasons of 10 episodes, which realistically speaking, you know, 40 episodes, it's not that much right? So it seems very doable. 
The next season slated to begin filming later, uh, early 2023. So we're not getting the show until 2024, which uh, was predicted. You know, unfortunately, it takes a lot to film an episode and then all the special effects and stuff that they use it takes a lot of time to do. Um, but four seasons of 10 episodes is pretty solid, all things considered. Like, I- I'm very excited for that. Um, I'm not sure because I believe the book of How- uh, Fire and Blood covers like Obviously, the Dance of the Dragons, which is the whole, uh, the whole conflict that is about to start with the death. They use the death of Luke, and you see Damon tell Rhaenyra, and she's you know she stares at the camera and it cuts to black. Like that is her being like, "Okay, go time," because she was kind of, you know, tiptoeing around the fact that she they she doesn't really want to start an all-out war, like. There might there could be a different way to just try and 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 capture the throne and Damon has that scene where he chokes her because he's being obviously frustrated and that's I know I saw a lot of people were like oh that's not like Damon that's not like Damon that's because people are like obs- especially the women demographic are obsessed with Damon like why would he choke why would he choke her why would he choke her because he thinks he would be a great king and he doesn't want his now wife who was just named or is supposed to be queen. She was being soft, like she, he was ready to go to war and she didn't want to do that. And he was like, you're going to turn out like Viserys. And he, I think he was just frustrated and to see him enact or show his frustration in that regard was like very on character in my opinion. So I don't know why people were kind of like, oh, I don't know why he would do that. There it's, you know, he's, none of these people are good people, especially by the end everyone's gonna be like this no no, you're gonna you're supposed to root for obviously Renera is like the main character and like she was promised the throne and then it was taken from her like usurped from her so it's like she technically i guess would be quote-unquote the main character but all these people are greedy they're lustful they just want more power and they want the throne like pretty much no matter the cost and by the end we're all gonna see like wow these all all these people suck and that's the point, because that's how the Targaryens came to be the Targaryens. And that's how we got to where we are in Game of Thrones. Um, but I think the book also carries, it also uh, goes over a lot of the fallout of the actual battle. I don't know how many episodes we're going to get of like the, the fallout. I, I would assume like the last, the last season... And the last few episodes will be like a a round off like, okay, this is who's still alive. This is who's on the throne. And then this is like is what happens a couple years later or whatever. There'll be another time skip, something like that. Uh, But very excited. I'm so excited for season two. It's going to be it's going to be a minute. It is going to be a minute until season two comes around. But season one, obviously a smashing success. and unfortunately, it's going to take two years, actually, because they didn't greenlight season two until after season one's premiere when so many people tuned in to, to watch it. HBO was like, because, I mean, you got, if you're HBO, listen, you're, you're putting out a new Game of Thrones uh, show, universe show, and that show ended so badly, and it got it, fumbled, it got fumbled so badly, and it, and it left such a so much disdain in the in 
the minds of all these fans, these millions of people that watched for years. Like, you got to think, are people going to watch this? Are they not going to watch out of spite because of the ending of Game of Thrones? It was uh, it was the former. Everyone watched. They were like everyone who watched Game of Thrones that I know watched House of Dragon and likes it. I haven't met one person that has watched all of Game of Thrones and then watched House of Dragon and was like, nah, I just don't, I don't like it. It's not for me. Like, no, you, you love this shit. Everyone loves it. It's, it's what we've wanted. Like, and knowing that it's going to have the proper ending because it was already written by George R.R. R. Martin, like, it's, it's done. Knowing that there's not going to be some ending where they run out of source material and then they got to make it up on the fly is comforting in that fact like you can be invested knowing that the ending of this story obviously they have already taken uh creative liberties with the story like uh, there's been a couple like apparently luke's death in episode 10 uh that's not how he died in the book so like stuff like that um the son of the of uh princess rainis and Corliss Valerian, I forget his name, uh, the one who was married, quote-unquote married, to uh, Rhaenyra but was gay, he dies in the book. But in the show, they kind of just sent him off to Essos to live his, live his life, you know, away from the, all, the crown and all that kind of stuff. And also, additionally, the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, who was in the room with uh Kristen Cole and and uh Allison and all all those people who ended up plotting to put Aegon on the throne after Viserys died he like turns in his cloak and he's like I'm leaving until the proper person is crowned or whatever and he dips he apparently also dies in the in the books he doesn't just get to live so he could be a guy that I mean he's certainly going to be a guy that they bring back into the show and he may end up dying anyway but he may play a slightly you know, larger role in the show than he did in the book. Um, I don't see them bringing back Rhaenyra's uh, husband after they sent him off to Essos or wherever they sent him off to. I don't see that. He's probably gone for the rest of the show. Um, yeah, just so like creative liberty is like that, uh, you know, for television effect. And that's warranted, obviously. And apparently George R. R. Martin, like he has a strong say in everything that's going on in the show. Um, his hand is very much in the mix in terms of creative uh, decisions and stuff like that. So that's all very comforting for Game of Thrones fans. And I'm sure it's something that HBO leaned on because they're like, listen, if we're going to make this spinoff show, it has to be successful. George R.R. R. Martin has to be a part of it. Because now this show has been so successful after one season, it's already greenlit for a second one. Now that's going to start soon. But they're gonna green. They're gonna green light multiple more seasons before you know season two even premieres. I would imagine, and it just the, the possibilities of the stories and and everything like that being told, like these anthology series, is endless. I mean, there's a huge world with a lot of like rich history and and it's really just very fleshed out in the shows and in the books. Um. So yeah, there's a lot of possibilities that HBO can go now that they've kind of, 
I'm not going to say they've completely made up for the ending of Game of Thrones because that was just two seasons of bad television that ruined like a, a, a ton of really beloved characters and story. Um, but they're on the right path. You know, four really good seasons of House of the Dragon with like a cherry on top ending would be, I, I would be all right. I would forgive them for the ending of Game of Thrones, knowing that this story's out there. All right, time for the MLB playoffs. Uh, congratulations to the Philadelphia Phillies are making the playoffs. They defeated the uh, San Diego Padres four games to one. Moment of the series has got to be last game, game five, Bryce Harper. Down three to two, one man on in the bottom of the eighth. Opposite field home run to put them up four to three. They never looked back. Uh, and they ended up winning the game and the series. Just like what a what a moment for Bryce Harper, you know? Like this is his third year, right? Maybe his fourth year in Philadelphia. They haven't made the playoffs yet. They haven't made the playoffs. Period. In ten years, eleven years, uh, eleven years, two thousand eleven, I think. Right? Is that that's when? Uh, pretty sure that's when Ryan Howard tore his Achilles, uh, running to first base, made the last out in the NLDS. Um, brutal, man. I mean, just real, real brutal run for the Phillies. And now they're back. I mean, they, they get into the playoffs. They're one of the hottest teams in baseball coming into the playoffs. They make short work of the Cardinals. And really you can point to, it feels like one moment, right? That Cardinal, that first wild card game against the Cardinals down to nothing in the, in the top of the ninth. And they scored six runs, not not one or two to tie it, or th- even three to give the Cardinals a fighting chance. Six, six runs, and then they made short work of the Braves. The Braves didn't have a prayer in the world. It feels like to beat the Phillies, uh, and then in this game against San Diego, how many times did San Diego jump out? These all these games, like the Philly won four to one, but each one of these games was pretty solid up until like one inning and it was always that one inning it looked like where philly just like the other day uh san diego uh juan soto hits a two-run homer to make it four to two padres and philly comes roaring back to they immediately hang five on the board in the bottom of the inning to take the lead again, to make it like six to four, that or seven to four, whatever it was. Like it, they, they are that lineup. Everyone is hitting, and they're not just hitting home runs. They're hitting singles and doubles. They're drawing walks, and then you look at the pitching staff. With uh, Wheeler has been unbelievable. Aaron Nola has been sensational. Ranger Suarez has gotten a couple really big victories. Noah Syndergaard's pitched well. Like, every, they, they are pitching so well. The bullpen has been excellent. Everyone in that lineup is contributing. Uh, and they have just, I, I, they're the hottest team in baseball. Like, they really are. Um, so congratulations to the Phillies. It, it's good to see them that they're, you know, they made the playoffs. And, like, they're making the most of it. Um, 
on the other end, time to get into it. The Yankees, my Yankees. Embarrassing 4 nothing loss. Embarrassing. Uh, I would be lying to you all if I said I didn't expect that, at least a little bit. You know, I thought maybe the Yankees can win one, possibly two games, you know? But to say that being swept was completely out of the realm of possibility, you're lying to yourself. The Astros have owned the Yankees. They, they beat, beat them handedly in the regular season. This is the third time they've met in the ALCS in the past five years. It's gotten progressively worse each time. It was 4-3 in 2017. 2019, they won 4-2, and now this year they won 4 nothing. There is no, it feels like there's no fight in this team. Like the Yankees that I grew up on, led the way by Derek Jeter, obviously. It never felt like the team was going to lose until that final out was recorded. It always felt like there was life, that someone could get on base, can get a hit, can draw a walk, whatever it was. It always felt like someone was going to be able to start something and the Yankees would be able to rally and tie the game or possibly win it. That is what made those Yankees teams so iconic is like the, the comeback factor, right? Down but not out. Never once did I ever feel like the Yankees were going to win any single one of these games. And for years, it was like, the Yankees need starting pitching. The Yankees need starting pitching. The Yankees need starting pitching. And then they get starting pitching. Cole, Cortez, and Severino were all good. Like, they, they all pitched exceptionally well. And the Yankees could not hit the baseball. They couldn't score runs. They couldn't even get on base. In a must-win game, in Game 3 at Yankee Stadium, must-win, you mustered up three hits, two of which came in the ninth inning. And then the last game, multiple times the Yankees had the lead in game four. Multiple times. And not once did I think, surely this lead will stick. Surely the Astros won't come back and, and, and take, regain the lead. No shot. Yeah, of course they did. It's predictable. And the thing with the Yankees now is they have become stale. Stale. Boone needs to go. Cashman needs to go. Quite honestly, I, if I was Aaron Judge, why would you want to come back unless those changes are made? You're coming back to a situation that's going to be the same if those two people stay in their positions. It's going to be the same. The Yankees, I found the perfect analogy for them if you're not a baseball person. They are the, the James Harden Houston Rockets. They shoot a ton of threes hit home runs in the regular season, and it wins you a lot of regular season games. Puts you in a really good position going into the playoffs. You might even get to the conference championship game, right? Or the, the league championship game in baseball's case. You're the, the step before the final, the final showdown, right? You'll never get over that hump with that kind of baseball, with that kind of basketball. Three-point shooting, hitting home runs. They can only get you so far in your respected sport before it boils down to the basics. In the Yankees' case, 
Can you draw walks? No one was able to draw walks in this postseason. Can you put the ball in play, hit singles, hit doubles? Are you willing to lay down a bunt? No one was. No one. Donaldson was a walking strikeout. Judge, as terrific of a player as he is, he has struggled in the postseason during his time in pinstripes. I'm not bashing him. I want him to stay. I love him. If he leaves, I'll be devastated. But those are the facts. He doesn't have great postseason numbers. No one in that lineup was hitting. And really, game four, impressively uh, impressively enough, was the only game where they were actually driving in runs without the home run. They, they did get a couple hits. They regained the lead several times. The bullpen just couldn't hold it. It, 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 just, it is what it is. They couldn't keep the lead. Um, and that, that was it. But they were actually doing what I'm criticizing them now for not being able to do during that time. Uh, the Astros, actually, they scored a bunch of their runs in the playoffs on home runs. Pretty much all of them on home runs. So, but it's not just about scoring the runs on the home runs for the Astros. They get people on base. Martin Maldonado was on base in game two, I think it was, in Houston. He reached base four times. He, he, he was hit by a pitch. He walked. He hit a double. Like, how are you allowing the number nine hitter, Martin Maldonado, how are you walking him? How are you hitting him with a pitch? Like, Throw, attack him. Throw a fastball by him. He's their, by far their worst hitter in the lineup. He's not there for his bat. He's there for his defense. And you're walking him. It's unacceptable. Like, things like that, that really just sent me over the edge. Where it was like, where, what is this team doing? Where do we stand? How, like, how can we fix this? And there's really only two ways to look at it. And it's management, because at this point, you're, you're jogging out the same team, or you have been putting out the same team for the past five years. The same team. Couple different players at some positions, but for the most part, you're, you're recycling players that do the same thing. Hit home runs, strike out, and walk. Like, you're signing, you're really doing the Billy Bean method with Moneyball here, like the three true outcome players, and it doesn't work in the playoffs. You need good pitching, a good bullpen, and you need to put the ball in play. The Yankees did not put the ball in play. They struck out. I don't know how many times they struck out in game four. I I didn't look. But I'll tell you, in game, through three games, three games, they struck out 41 times as a team. 41 times through three games. How can you expect to win against anyone in the playoffs, let alone the Astros? Like, it is, it is no secret why the Yankees lose to, to this team. The, the, the Yankees are to the Houston Astros what the Minnesota Twins are to the Yankees. If I'm an Astros fan... As soon as it's decided the Yankees are playing, I'm kicking my feet up. Like, as, soon as, the, as soon as the Astros get past the Mariners, I'm kicking my feet up. I'm like, we're going to the World Series. I start celebrating then. Because you're either playing the Guardians or the Yankees. Like, you're in the clear. The Mariners were your biggest threat. And you, they almost lost all three of those games that they ended up winning. It was a very competitive series between them. This series versus the Yankees, completely non-competitive. 
It was a wash, like a, just a complete up and down, dominated, outclassed, man. And it's so frustrating because you know what the problems are. Every fan, every real fan, right? Obviously, there are a ton of fraudulent Yankee fans who are like, we're winning it all. We're going all the way this year, blah, 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 blah. Like any realistic Yankee fan looked at this team and was like, are we going to win the AL East? Possibly. Are we going to make the playoffs? Yes. Can we make a playoff run? Maybe a little bit. Are we a World Series caliber team? No shot. And they kind of they kind of twisted you around a little bit in the in the, you know, good part of the year. You're like, "Oh, maybe maybe they can." And then their flaws started to show at the end of the season. And you're like, "This is the team that has the problems that I was looking at before. That they weren't shining through before and now they are." These are problematic things that need to be fixed. You need to get people who hit for average. You need it's either that go it's either get out go out and get people who are going to change your team's dynamic and their image, right? From this super heavy home run hitting team to a team that's going to put the ball in play and get on base. Either go out and get people like that or start playing your younger players. It might be time to do the latter. Okay, Peraza has showed that he's already a very good defensive shortstop. And if you give him time in the major leagues, he's going to be an exceptional hitter. He has it. Oswaldo Cabrera, has he earned his spot in the starting lineup when he was brought up to the major leagues. He is someone that's going to be on the opening day roster. Peraza should as well. And you got to look at Anthony Volpe or Volpe. I don't know how you say Volpe or Volpe, but... The kid, the shortstop down in AAA now, I think he is. He has to be heavily considered into making the jump to the major leagues next year. I don't know how that's going to work. Ideally, you have Peraza at short, Cabrera at third. And then if Volpe comes up when he's ready, he might not make the opening day roster. But even if he does, let's say hypothetically he does. He's at short, Peraza maybe at third, and Cabrera in left. Possibly, like, what are we doing with Benintendi? Is he? A, I'm pretty sure he's a free agent. I, I don't know if the Yankees is going to resign him. Like, I would imagine we trade him because he's going to be a free agent. But it's just like, what? What are we doing? What? There's so many holes in this lineup. So many glaring holes in this lineup. Jose Trevino, for, for as fantastic as a season he had, completely fell off a cliff towards the end of the year. Um. Didn't do anything in the playoffs. It's like there are a lot of holes in the playoffs. First of all, in the playoffs, no one played well. I can't just single out like Trevino or um, or Judge or you know anyone. Right? No, no one played well. No one hit well in the playoffs except Harrison Bader. Uh, so it's time to stop looking at other teams and being like, well, they just have our number. No. Now, look inward. What's missing? What's different from th- these teams than the 90s and, and 2000s Yankees with Jeter leading the way? What's different? Outside of Aaron Judge, there's no homegrown talent on this roster. There are no players who had 
played through the minor leagues together and have come up together in the MLB. They're like, you know, Posada, Jeter, Pettit, Bernie, right? These guys, they played together, they came up together, and they won championships together. Who do the Yankees have in the farm system right now that have all played together? Cabrera, Peraza, and Volpe. Bring them up together. They, they, if they play together, they learn to win together, and that cultivates a good, grounded like system in the team. It's just they've gotten so far away from that with you know the evil empire shtick and the buy up the best free agents available and all that kind of nonsense. It's just stuff like that that you look at and you're like, this is like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? And for that reason, Cashman needs to go and Boone needs to go. It's time to make a change. You have been doing the same thing for years. The Yankees have lost their last five ALCS appearances. Three of them to the Astros in the past five years alone. It, it has been no cakewalk. Like, obviously, the regular season success has been there for the most part. You've made some playoff runs, but it, it's never been enough. So it's time to make a change. If you keep doing the same thing year in and year out, season after season, with no tangible difference, no tangible change, you are insane expecting a different result. You're insane. Obviously, every Yankees fan's dream, I would say, is for Derek Jeter to assume general manager duties over Brian Cashman and then bring in. I don't know if I want to bring in so a, a different beloved Yankee. Aaron Boone wasn't a beloved Yankee, but he had one historic moment in Yankee history that is remembered fondly, obviously, by all fans. Um, I'm not going to say I hate him or that he sucks or anything like that. I, I think it's just that he definitely has strings being pulled on him. I don't think he is fully allowed to make every decision. But I also think the decisions that look like they're his decisions to make haven't been great. Like Garrett Cole, pulling Garrett Cole and putting in Lou Trevino, very questionable, highly suspect thing to do, right? Why would you do something like that? You don't, Michael Kay said it best on the postgame show. He's like, you don't trust Garrett Cole? Like no knock on Lou Trevino, but he's not even your best reliever and you don't trust Garrett Cole to keep the lead where it is because that was Boone's excuse was they were down to nothing. He wanted to keep it right where it was. So they brought in Lou Trevino instead of Garrett Cole who had like 90 pitches or whatever. Like you don't trust Cole in that situation. This is a must win game and your ace is on the mound. Just get it. Let him stay there. And then the, you know, the game got broken up even further, got more out of hand. So it, it's things like that where you, it leaves you scratching your head in terms of what are we doing? And then like the batting order. I played baseball for a, a long time. Okay? I, I am by no means an incredible baseball player. But I'm, I'm very knowledgeable in terms of how baseball players work. They're like the mental capacities of baseball players. Like slumps and other things like that. I understand what goes through a baseball player's mind. Baseball players, damn near all of them, are creatures of habit. 
they like to do the same thing to get them prepped for a game pretty much before every game. And the batting order is a part of that. Knowing where you're going to be in the lineup every single day, who's going to be hitting in front of you, who's going to be hitting behind you, what kind of situations are you going to find yourself in when you step up to the plate? That's why certain guys, you know, you bat them second or you bat them third. That way, they're or fourth, you get them into RBI situations. You know you have a high probability of guys getting on base. You bat a guy leadoff because he has maybe the best eye on the team. He's going to see a lot of pitches. He's going to make that pitcher work. He's going to help guys waiting their first at-bat year. They're going to be able to see a lot of pitches. What What is he going to in this count? What's he doing? Like That's the point of the leadoff hitter. And if you get on base, obviously more power to you. Uh, but it's things like that where it's like, The Yankees had three different leadoff hitters. Harrison Bader, Aaron Judge, and Anthony Rizzo all batted leadoff in this series. Uh, There was, you know, Judge was in different spots. Multiple other guys were hitting seventh, and they were hitting fifth, and then eighth, like ninth. All mumbled up and, and jumbled up with all these different concoctions that he's trying during a playoff game. This isn't just like the regular season where you're trying to figure out maybe what your best lineup is. These are This is the ALCS, and now you're fiddling with the lineup like a lunatic. Baseball players are creatures of habit. They like to be in the same spot because they know what they're getting into when they step up to the plate. They know what their job is when they step up to the plate. Glaber Torres hit leadoff also. Four, that's four. So Glaber Torres hitting leadoff, like... That, this is a guy that's been hitting middle of the order, 3-4-5, his entire career. He's a guy that you send up there hoping there's people on base for him to knock him in. Now he's batting leadoff. He has no leadoff batter experience at all. I don't, Rizzo doesn't either. And then you're hitting Josh Donaldson, who is by far and away the worst player in that lineup during this series. It, it didn't take a... You know, a baseball genius to look at him and be like, wow, this guy just doesn't have it right now. And you're still hitting him fourth or fifth in this lineup with guys on base. Big, how, how many times did Josh Donaldson come up on base and strike out? At least four or five times during this series. And it killed them. It killed them. He had, off the top of my head, he had one hit. And it was a double down the right field line because he was late on the pitch, not because he meant to go the other way. Double down the right field line, and there was no one on base. He was leading off the inning. Or there was two outs. What I think it was actually two outs, yeah. So it was, it was worthless. It, like, what, what are we doing? What are we doing? You, you can't have that happen the way it's been happening. You can't. You have, something needs to change. And those are my final thoughts. I, I'm not going to discuss it anymore. We all know how badly the Astros beat up on the Yankees. It was no contest. It was a cakewalk as far as I'm concerned. They have a lot of question marks. What, what are they going to do with the young talent? Are they going to go out and, and try and sign a couple free agents? Are they going to be able to keep Aaron Judge, obviously, is the first option. Are we going to be able to retain Aaron Judge? Huge question mark. Because right now, if I was Aaron Judge, I would want to go somewhere else. Boone needs to go. Cashman needs to go. I don't know if either one of those two is actually a realistic thing. I really don't. Because Hal Steinbrenner, for whatever reason, just 
doesn't have like he doesn't have the short leash for better or worse that his father George had. Rest in peace. Doesn't have that short leash. George Steinbrenner, the boss, he was quick to get rid of you if you did not benefit this franchise. Again, for better or for worse. But how? Just seems like he doesn't know when to let go. Wow. Really upsetting stuff, man. Uh, <laughs> oh, God. It stinks. It stinks. I mean, I, it could be worse. I could be a Mets fan. But, you know, still. Being really good and then just, like, losing in the playoffs every year is tough. <laughs> My people who listen to this that are friends with me that are also Mets fans aren't going to like that. But whatever. Okay. NFL Week 7. Uh... The Giants and Jets both win again. We'll, we'll try and be a little bit more brief on the uh, NFL recap. Obviously, we're almost running over an hour here. So let's go with, start with Sunday Night Football. Dolphins, Steelers. I, uh, I need to give the Steelers a little bit more credit than I've been giving them. Uh, this is the second week in a row where they've been in a game with a chance to win it. The Dolphins came out and they looked like they hadn't missed a beat. Immediately score a touchdown. Um and they only mustered up 16 nine nine more points the rest of the game, which I thought was like they they were definitely on pace to score way more and the Steelers defense really did like they did a good job of of slowing down the Dolphins. The problem is with the Steelers, it's not their defense. It's never been really their defense, it's been their offense. They can't score points. And that happened today, uh, last night, Sunday night. Um, Dolphins win 16-10. to 10. They do get back to their winning ways. Uh, they're 4-3. and three. Pittsburgh's 2-5. and five. So uh, it's tough right now for Pittsburgh. It's tough. No doubt about it. I would say the most shocking part of the game was the fact that Tua was running around. He scrambled two different times to pick up uh, a first down, and these two times that he scrambled, he put his shoulder down and went to go, like, he, he drove into the defender trying to pick up extra yardage, and it's like, dude, come on, man, what are you doing, what are you doing, you were the franchise quarterback, you just had two concussions, one that was, it's kept you out the past three weeks because it knocked you out cold, it was so bad, uh, they change. They literally changed the concussion protocol rule to you now that like if you have maybe even any symptoms, even if you pass the protocol, it happened with Amon Ross St. Brown on uh, on Sunday. He left the game, went into the tent, didn't have a concussion, but they ruled him out anyway. This that's because of Tua, right? They changed the concussion protocols rules because of you, and now you're out here. Your first game back, you're like. Running into defenders, putting your shoulder down, trying to get extra yards. I hate to use this pun, but like, use your head, dude. Be smart. What? Like, what are you doing? It's such a completely unnecessary risk for him to do. So I, I was like, I'm not even a Dolphins fan. I'm screaming on TV, like, what are you doing? Like, just slide, just slide, man. No one's gonna get mad at you that you didn't pick up the extra two yards for the first down. Just slide. That's all. And I think it's become glaringly obvious. I said Steelers have a problem scoring the football. Uh, fire Matt Canada. Like, there's just, there's no other reason why he should still be employed as your offense coordinator. Sorry. 
Just none. Uh, the Monday night games, Bears and Patriots, kind of a whack game. I expect the Patriots to win this one, but who knows? Maybe the Bears will surprise people. Um, but a gross, gross Monday game. Giants. They almost blew this. Uh, so Daniel Jones, first of all, had an incredible game, even with his receivers dropping like five or six catches. I have never seen him get like so emotional before. It was a fourth and two, fourth and three, whatever it was. Uh, on the pretty much on the goal line, like if they got the first down, they would be on the one yard line. You know, one of those. They go for it. He throws a slant to Marcus Johnson and it hits him off his chest, falls to the ground. And Daniel Jones is going to the sidelines like catch the fucking ball. Like you could see him mouthing that. And it was like, whoa, Danny Dimes showing a little bit of emotion and some frustration. I don't, We've never seen that from him before. So. Uh, I, I think he apologized for it later in the game. He was like, I have all the trust in the world in Marcus. You know, I, I'm, I'm a, I feel like it's unfortunate that I let my emotions get the better of me in that instance. Um, so he apologized for it, but like, it's what they needed. Like, it's true. They dropped five or six balls on him. He was 19 to, throwing, 19 to 30 throwing the football. He should be something like 24 or 25 for 30 with the amount of drop balls that his wide receivers had. Um, regardless, 207 yards in the air, uh, or 202 yards in the air, and 107 on the ground. A touchdown throwing and a touchdown running. He had a phenomenal game. Phenomenal. I think if there's people still out that they're like, oh, the defense and Saquon are carrying the Giants, you're not watching the games, man. You're not watching the football games. Daniel Jones is leading that offense. Is Saquon a huge factor? Obviously, yes. He's their best playmaker. He's like a top two running back in the NFL. So. Having him, obviously, is great, but Daniel Jones is making plays. He's making smart decisions. He's making stuff happen with his feet and with his arm. He's doing really, really, really well. And the Giants are playing really well. Now, the end of this game pissed me off because there was a lot of of nonsense um, with the officiating. There was a clear interception that would have ended the game, and they called a bogus, measly hands to the face he didn't grab his face mask it was like he was pushing up to jam at the line of scrimmage and his hand went up a little bit too far but it wasn't even for a second not even for a second that this was happening and the flag got thrown super late um pretty much after honestly the flag got thrown after the the pick happened but that so that that was nonsense gave them new life and then they called another uh roughing the passer on dexter lawrence even though it was a clean form tackle he was rushing up the middle hit as he throws he tackles Lawrence to the ground but of course they're like oh quarterback got hit throw the flag meanwhile they're not calling uh unnecessary roughness penalties when Daniel Jones is sliding while he's running and then he gets hit from behind they're not going to call those penalties but they'll call it for Trevor Lawrence being a pocket passer It's, it's very annoying uh so that sets up now that was on top of a 15 yards on top of a huge reception that they had for a first down so now you have a real legitimate shot to get into the end zone. Trevor Lawrence throws it. Christian Kirk caught it at the one and got stonewalled in the air by Fabian Moreau, who's been playing him and Adoree Jackson have been fantastic this year. He stuffs him, and then Julian Love and Xavier McKinney come out, come over. Uh, they're right on the play, and the three of them tackle him down at like the three-yard line. Uh, clock hits zero, double zeros, and the game's over. So the Giants come out unscathed, but got a lot closer at the end than it had to be because of Saquon's crucial mistake. And this is the first time, like, you know, Dable, 
as good as a coach as he's been, you know he was telling him to get down. You know other people were like, hey, just just get down, get down, get down. And it looked like he got caught in the middle because he made a move to the outside and he was running and it looked like he thought, hey, it looks like I could pick up this first down. And when the Jaguars cut that off and he couldn't get it, he they forced him to the sideline and he forgot for like the split the sp- split second instead of running out of bounds like he normally would he has to slide and get down it, it was just like a mental a- lapse a mental error and he sl- slid super late they reviewed it and they said yeah he was out of bounds the clock stops uh, like he didn't slide in bounds he didn't give him up himself up in bounds so the clock stopped at like 101 instead of what would have been 25 seconds. So after the field goal that the Giants made, because Graham Gano's uh, a weapon to put them up six, and then the ensuing kickoff, there was like 51 seconds, I think, of game clock left, rather than what would have been like 23. Um, and it was like the long, Mark Schlereth, I think, was on the call. He's like, this is the longest 51 seconds of football in my life. Because <laughs> there was just bogus penalties that were being called against the Giants to prolong the game like that should have been over it was really really annoying uh and Trevor Lawrence got bailed out quite a few times when he that uh, that hands to the face penalty was on the opposite side of the field Trevor Lawrence didn't look that way once and then he threw an absolute duck to to no one at all and Moreau picked it off and it was called back because of that penalty it was bogus but regardless the Giants are six and one the Jaguars are two and five. Um, next week, the Giants go to Seattle. They open up as three and a half point underdogs. They were underdogs in this game against the Jaguars. I said that's ludicrous that they are. They should be favorites, uh, but they weren't. This feels more appropriate. The Seattle Seahawks are four and three. They just beat the Chargers. Who I don't, by the way, I don't think the Chargers are very good. I'll get into that. Um, but. They're playing at Seattle. Seattle's a tough place to play, obviously. Uh, the Seahawks have been playing pretty good football. Kenneth Walker is a unit, and the Giants don't have particularly good run defense. Like, ETN had a really good ga- game outside of his fumble, which that could have changed the course of the game because that would have been his second touchdown. But he fumbled it, and the Giants recovered in the end zone. So, three and a half point dogs at Seattle. I still like the Giants to win. A uh, chance to go to seven and one next, or chance to go seven and one next week. Yeah, in week eight. So very excited. As for the Jets, um, real gross game. No Russell Wilson for the Broncos. Uh, Brees Hall had a 62 yard run halfway through the first quarter, and then he tears his ACL. Confirmed today by Adam Scheffner, torn ACL, slight damage to the meniscus. He's out for the year. A very obviously devastating blow for the New York Jets. Uh, Brees Hall has been phenomenal. Zach Wilson has been the worst part of that offense, which is not good because now you just lost your Michael Carter's great. Like he's he's a good tandem back to have, but Brees Hall was the guy. Like he was electric. Um, now now it's uncertain what that offense is going to look like without Hall. Uh, Zach Wilson, like I said, he's been very inconsistent. There were a lot of times against the Broncos where he was scrambling around and the ball probably should have been thrown away. Eight seconds, he was he would scramble around for 10 seconds and the ball should have been thrown away eight seconds ago. Like, it, it entirely 
too much running around makes you want to like clench your chest because you're like, oh my God, what, what is this guy going to do? A couple of times he threw really bad footballs that they ended up falling incomplete, luckily, for the Jets, but suspect decisions that he's making. He needs to improve now. <laughs> he needs to improve yesterday, two weeks ago, right? Like, th- this is not something that is sustainable if the Jets want to continue to win. They're 5-2, and two, best they've been in a very long time. But Zach Wilson being the most suspect part of your offense is very different than what the Giants are dealing with. Right, the Giants are dealing with a Daniel Jones that, yeah, maybe he might not be the most talented guy in the world and can't throw the ball 70, 80 yards downfield, but he's not turning the ball over. You can throw the football with him. You don't have great wide receivers, but you can throw the football with him. He's shown he's able to throw it and run it. Whereas Zach Wilson, like, you're not running RPOs with Zach Wilson, especially because his knee has been an issue for like the past year. So you're not doing that with Zach Wilson. Uh, and are you really asking him to air it out? Like, do you trust him doing that? He needs to make significant improvements because he's the most suspect part of that offense. Whereas the Giants, like the most suspect part of the offense for them is that they have no one to throw the ball to. Although Wandell Robinson, he got hit below the belt, if you know what I'm saying. And I don't think he was right for like the rest of the game. Uh, cause they were really have, making him heavily involved. And then they just didn't target him after that incident happened. Um, and Daniel Bellinger got poked in the eye. I think he broke his septum or something happened to his septum and he broke his orbital bone. Like he was bleeding out of his eye. It looked hor- it looked like he got uh, stabbed in the face, like in the eye. It looked horrible, really bad. I, I hope his sight is recovered, honestly. Um, so that sucks because Daniel Bellinger and-, and Jones were building a nice rapport together. But uh, Wandale Robinson looks good. He looks good. I mean... I would be really excited to have him and Tony on the same field, but Kadarius Tony's just useless. He's not going to play a game this year. I'm telling you. As for the Broncos, they're dead. Two and five. Doesn't matter if Russell Wilson comes back. They're still dead. Uh, Nathaniel Hackett might be the very rare one and done head coach. I'm not going to lie. It doesn't look good for them, man. It really doesn't. Let's run down the league real quick. Uh, Bengals, Falcons. Bengals beat up on the Falcons 35 to 17. Jamar Chase. Looked like he's tweaked his hammy a little bit, but still was able to have uh, two touchdowns on the day. T. Higgins had close to 100 yards. Tyler Boyd had a huge 60-yard touchdown. Everyone was eating for the Bengals. Joe Mixon scored. Um, every, like I said, everyone was eating for the Bengals. Joe Burrow came real close to 500 yards. 481, three touchdowns for Joe Burrow. Tyler Boyd had 155 yards. Uh, they, yeah, this was this was a beat em up game. First time all year that the Falcons did not cover the spread. Uh, They were 6-0 heading into this week against the spread, but they got blown out this week at Cincinnati with the Bengals, who are now 4-3. Lions, Cowboys, Lions kept turning the ball over. Cowboys defense is just way too much, kind of exactly what you expected. Um, Daniel Bellinger, by the way, out indefinitely has to get surgery on his eye socket. As I stated earlier, he got poked in the face. I guess it wasn't just a poke, though. Um, brutal, tough loss for the Giants on an already depleted receiving core. So Cowboys, Dak, first game back against the Lions, real slow, like real, real easy going win. Um, Tony Pollard and Ezekiel Elliott both had good, uh, good days. Zeke had two one yard touchdown runs. Uh, Pollard had 83 rushing on 12 carries. Dak just 19 to 25, 207 yards. 
and the touchdown. Jared Goff, a couple interceptions. Uh, I think they lost some fumbles. Lions, I had a lot of faith in them, but now they are just 1-5, and five, and it just seems like it's more of what you expect from the Detroit Lions, unfortunately. Titans, Colts, Titans win 19-10. to 10. Matt Ryan, first reported as benched, now reported as he has a grade 2 shoulder separation. It will be Sam Ellinger. Ellinger? Ellinger? I think it's Ellinger. Sam Ellinger will be the quarterback for the Indianapolis Colts for the rest of the season. What an absolute disaster at quarterback that the Indianapolis have, Colts have gone through since Peyton Manning, really. Because they lose, they lose Peyton Manning. They go through hell for not a, a year. And then they get Andrew Luck, who then retires in the prime of his career. And now it's just been a recycling door of like, do we want to tank and try and get a, a top draft pick for a quarterback? Or are we just trying to win now with a veteran quarterback who's available? They brought in Phillip Rivers for a plug. Um, got to the playoffs, didn't win anything. Uh, then they brought in Carson Wentz, didn't even make the playoffs. Now Matt Ryan, who is, he leads the league in interceptions, fumbles, time sacked. This whole thing about how the Colts have had an offensive line that's been so good for so long. The Colts offensive line has not been good in like two years. It stinks. Stinks. Quentin Nelson was an all-pro. He's a turnstile now. I, I don't know what happened, but over it feels like overnight the Colts offensive line has been horrible. So Matt Ryan leads the league in like the worst quarterback categories. <laughs> so he's he's done. You can call it a shoulder separation. If he was benched, he was benched. I don't know if that was just to save fa save face or whatever, or the injury is real or not, but he has been flat out horrible for the Colts. We'll see if Sam Ellinger's any better, but the Colts are somehow still in the hunt. They're 3-3-1. Three, three and one. Uh, Titans are 4-2. and two. Commanders, Packers, I'm ready to bury the Packers too. At this point, the Giants might be a, a, a top wildcard team, right? Because the rest of the NFC teams that a lot of people pick to be in like the top of the league are not playing well. Uh, the Packers included. They lost their third straight game, and they lost to the Commanders. Taylor Heineke-led Commanders. 23 to 21, but it wasn't, I mean, it, it was, it was far past that. Like the Packers tacked on uh, a touchdown with three and a half minutes left to make it 23 to 21. And the commanders were able to hold on. Terry McLaurin came on big late. He was a huge part of that W. Uh, commanders, they're a better team with Taylor Heineke. I, 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 I said it. I, for whatever reason, they don't want to commit to Taylor Heineke, and they went out and they got another quarterback. But Taylor Heineke, uh, he he plays hard, man. He really does. And he this could be the, one of those instance, instances where it's like the backup comes in, he plays really well for a couple games, and then he kind of falls off, and then Carson Wentz has to come back. But like, I don't know. It, it, Carson Wentz isn't very good, so why wouldn't you just ride with Taylor Heineke? But you know they're probably gonna. Carson Wentz is probably going to be the starter when they come back. But uh, yeah, Commanders 23, Packers 21. Both teams are 3-4. and four. The Packers are dead. They probably won't even make the playoffs at this point. Um, speaking of not making the playoffs, the Bucs are 3-4 and because they got trounced by the Panthers. Now, make no mistake about it, this is the this This is more unfortunate for the Bucs than it is 
positive for the Panthers because when you look at this game, this is the obligatory, the obligatory really bad team just traded away their best player for draft picks and we're trying to tank the rest of the season to get a top, the number one pick and take a quarterback, but we're going to win. <laughs> like it's just one of those games where everyone expects you to lose. Everyone expects you to get blown out. It's a divisional game. Now I, I picked the bucks. I took Bucks minus nine and a half. Like I thought they were going to win by at least 10 points. Not the case. Uh, they, they had one play first drive of the game could have been like a 60, 70 yard touchdown to Mike Evans bounced right off his hands, which is very uncharacteristic of Mike Evans. He never drops stuff like that. Um, and they were like never the same. They never recovered. Uh, the Panthers, PJ Walker was slinging it. The uh, Chuba Hubbard was running all over the Bucks defense. Like they just, they beat the brakes off them. 21 to three. It wasn't even close. Now the Panthers defense in, in respect to them, the Panthers defense has not been the issue as to why they cannot win football games. It has been their offense and their inept ability to score the football with Baker Mayfield. PJ Walker steps in. He's slinging it. They look great. DJ Moore has by far his best game of the year. Uh, seven catches, 69 yards, and a touchdown. Finally, he finds the end zone. But Dante Foreman also, I shouldn't have even said Chuba Hubbard. Chuba Hubbard had a handful of carries. I think he left at part of the game. But Dante Foreman had eight, uh, 15 carries for 118 yards. 100, yeah, 118 yards. Crazy. Just everyone stepped up for the Panthers. They got a, a divisional win. They embarrassed the Bucs, uh, who are, I think, dead. Personally, they're three and four. Carolina's two and five. They're still in the hunt for that number one spot. Um, but right now it belongs to the Texans who are one, four, and one. Speaking of, we'll say that game right now. Raiders, they I mean they 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 beat up on the Texans 38 to 20. Uh Vegas is two and four. Texans are one, four, and one. Josh Jacobs for the second consecutive or third consecutive game. Pops off three touchdowns, 143 yards on the ground, just 20 carries. Um, he also had three catches for 12 yards. Third straight game where Josh Jacobs has just flat out dominated. And the Raiders are two and four. Uh, like I said, Texans, they're going to be getting that number one pick. A uh, couple bright spots there, though. Derek Stingley Jr. is very good. And you have Brandon Cooks. I don't know for how much longer, though. <laughs> that's that's about it. Uh John Mechie's lying in wait. I mean, he's recovering from literal cancer, so that's horrible and, you know, relieving at the same time that he's going to be able to play football again at some point. At least that's what the reports were a couple months ago. Um but he's super talented, so you know, he'll be ready at some point, but no one's really thinking about football for him right now. They just want him to be be healthy and okay. Uh but Derek Stingley Jr is pretty good. So, that's about it. Uh, Seahawks, or what I, I skipped past the Browns and the Ravens, the Ravens finally win a close game, 23 to 20. The Browns are two and five, uh, and the Ravens are four and three, but it has not been pretty for the Baltimore Ravens. Lamar Jackson, just nine of 16 for 120 yards. Gus Edwards, 16 carries, 66 yards. Uh, two touchdowns. These are just two teams that just ran the ball a ton. Lamar himself had 10 carries for 59 yards. Poor Kenyon Drake after exploding against the Giants. Gus Edwards comes back immediately as RB1 without J.K. Dobbins. But Kenyon Drake had 11 carries for five yards. Not not good. Uh, Mark Andrews didn't have a single catch. 
also not good. Um, he did had a ru- he did have a rush for four yards though, but this is just, it's like one of those things. I don't know, man. Lamar and the Ravens, like you look at them and they're like, well, they they've blown the like the leads late. They've they've lost every close game they've played this year. They finally get a win in this close game, but it's wasn't pretty. Divisional opponent, I get it, different atmosphere, but it wasn't pretty. Um, the Browns, they're counting down the days till Deshaun Watson comes back, and even then. It might be, if they keep up on this trajectory, it, it might not be enough. Let's see, week 11, they play the Bengals next week on Halloween, Monday night, then they have their bye week, and then they come back and play the Dolphins, the Bills, the Bucks, Texans, Bengals, like, they come back, when does Deshaun come back? Against the Bills, they could lose to the Bengals, they probably will, they could lose to the Dolphins, they probably will, and then you get Deshaun back maybe you're three and six maybe tough road tough road for the browns like is that salvageable i don't know ravens still like they're four and three uh they haven't looked great like i said for like the third time they've won their first close game of the year uh they still have a chance to win the the afc north for sure it's it's up for grabs let's be real it's really i mean not really up for grabs it's between the Bengals and and the ravens <laughs> so uh next game seahawks chargers here's my hot take uh i don't think justin herbert and the chargers are particularly good yeah i'll say it now it it could be i i think the talent the physical talent for justin herbert's obviously there um but they're not they're not good they're not good they they people were real high on them even though they didn't really play that well last year with Justin Herbert, they were just nine and eight, and you know, I'm not ready. I think Justin Herbert is way better than like Kyler Murray, so I'm not ready to throw him in that same category as like super talented, but is just not getting it done. Um, I think both of them suffer from a head coaching issue. Brandon Staley is, I mean, he he literally thinks he's playing a video game. Um, his ultra aggressive play style has. I would I would say single-handedly lost the Chargers bare minimum three, four, five games. Not even just this year. I'm just saying like in recent memory, like it loses them a lot of football games and puts them in a lot of tough positions when they don't make it. You know, it, it's he's he's really putting a lot of pressure on his young quarterback to do the most because he makes these brain dead aggressive decisions. Like sometimes it's OK to kick the field goal and just take the points. Sometimes it's okay to punt the ball for field position. It's okay. You don't have to go for it. It's like as soon as he crosses his own 45-yard line, he's going for it no matter what. There's no... It's like you get to midfield, and you get to the opponent's side of the field. He's not punting. He's going for it every single time. It could be fourth and five, fourth and six. Doesn't matter. He's, He's going for it. It's crazy. And God forbid it's like a fourth and short inside the 30. He's definitely going for it rather than just taking the points. Sometimes it's okay to take the points. Cliff Kingsbury, he's just a bad coach. Whatever. I, I understand they beat the Saints barely. They didn't, they didn't beat the Saints because they outplayed the Saints. Andy, the defense won that game. Andy Dalton threw two horrendous pick sixes. And that was the difference in this game. Okay? Those things didn't exist. The Saints win that game. But besides the point. I digress. The Chargers, 
I'm not trying to take away anything from Justin Herbert. Like I said, he's like supremely talented, really, really good football player. I would love him to be the quarterback of my team. You know, even though I love Daniel Jones, to say that Justin Herbert is an upgrade would be crazy. He's like just incredibly physically talented as a quarterback, but the charges as a team are just not very impressive. They're not. And there were some people after a nine and eight year, basically the same exact team the Chargers have. And I mean, they get Cleo Mack, to be fair. So Mack and Bosa, pretty crazy. Although Joey Bosa's out. But like they're banged up a little bit. But to pick them flat out to win the AFC West, people were doing that. Like they're like, yeah, Chargers this year. It's the Chargers. Dude, I. Patrick Mahomes is still breathing, is he not? Like, I don't understand how you go against him. He's just, like, very... The, the AFC West is suddenly trash. <laughs> it's, it, it is suddenly a bad division outside of the, uh, the Chiefs. The Chiefs are 5-2. and two, Cardinal, uh, The Chargers are 4-3. and three, The Raiders are 2-4. and four, And the Broncos are 2-5. and five. They're, they're not, like, it's no contest. I understand, like, well, the Chargers are only a game out. They're not going to catch the Chiefs. I, that, that might as well be 10 games out. <laughs> a game out. It's the same, man. The Chiefs are going to win that division. No sweat. None. As for the Seahawks, they are obviously one of these teams in the NFC that's playing way above their pay grade. Geno Smith has been dealing for uh, a lot of these games they're four and three uh kenneth walker has arrived you know i feel bad for what happened to rashad penny he was running the ball exceptionally well before he got hurt now he's out for the year and it's kenneth walker's time like you draft him for a reason and this is the reason he's an excellent running back um big explosive play capability runs hard big guy to tackle there's a reason why he was a heisman finalist when he was at michigan state you know uh, ripped off another 74-yard TD run. Second week in a row, I think he had a 70-plus yard run. His The one against the Saints might have been like 60-something. But still, a big explosive play, like I said. Uh, he's the guy that scares me the most going into next week as a Giants fan when they have to go to Seattle to play the Seahawks. Uh, because like I said, Giants don't have a particularly great running defense. And Kenneth Walker has been just on a tear. So, uh, And shout out to Geno. Like Gino has been playing very, very well. Um, but how can you, I mean, 168 yards and two touchdowns for Kenneth Walker. Come on now. Video game stuff. Uh, Chiefs Niners. This was a game like, yep, San Francisco. They're going to show them what they're made of. Nah, sorry. Uh, Chiefs win easily 44 to 23. Didn't get off to the best start though. Mahomes threw a pick on his first possession. Uh, but the Chiefs defense played really, really well. I expect the Niners offense to get a little bit better now. Obviously, they traded for Christian McCaffrey, which is uh, a huge acquisition for them. They gave up a ton of draft capital. No first round picks, but a ton of draft capital nonetheless. I think it was a second, third, and fourth for this year, and then a fifth next year. So, bunch of picks uh, to the Panthers. Good value they got for McCaffrey. And, you know, he was a little bit of a part of this offense this game, but obviously he had only been a part of the team, I think, for three days before they had to play on Sunday. So he didn't even really know where to line up. Like Garoppolo had to like put him 
in a couple positions to line up for certain plays and, and stuff like that. Uh, but, you know, two weeks max, two weeks maximum before Christian McCaffrey learns this playbook inside and out and is going to be really a key factor in his offense. Obviously, we know Shanahan loves to run the ball. He loves to run these trick plays. McCaffrey is an excellent receiving back. I'm sure they'll draw up a ton of screen plays and and play action dump offs for him and stuff like that. So he's going to be heavily involved in that offense, no doubt about it. Um, But they struggled this week. Uh, They go to three and four. Chiefs improve to five and two. And that concludes our NFL Week 7 Roundup, uh, and also this week's episode of From My Point of View. So, thank you all very much for listening. As always, appreciate you, and uh, have a great rest of your week. Have a great weekend. Have a happy and safe Halloween weekend, and I will talk to you all next Tuesday. Is I